How would you respond if your superintendent said you weren't an instructional leader due to the content you taught? This week's guest shares how he broke the stigma of being just a PE teacher and how he challenged the definition of being a leader. Welcome back, everyone, to Aspire, the Leadership Development Podcast, where we will be discussing the visions, inspirations, and experiences from top educational leaders. My name is Joshua Stamper, and you can connect with me on Twitter or on Instagram at Joshua double underscore Stamper. Ryan, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Hey, thanks so much for having me. I am honored and humbled to uh, join you tonight. Hey, Ryan, we got a chance to meet at Teach Better 19. It was phenomenal to get to know you during that conference. Also got to learn about Be the One for Kids and kind of all the initiatives that you're doing. But before we talk about that, will you just share with our listeners about your leadership journey? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, my leadership journey really started right away when I started teaching. I started off as a fourth and fifth grade uh, physical education teacher where I had anywhere between 90 and 120 kids at a time. And I rotated between six different sites. And so I got to see what a lot of schools were doing, um, what was working really well for them, and what were some areas that they needed to grow. It allowed me to really get in there and see what I would want to do if I ran that school. And from those elementary schools, I went on to a middle school, worked at a few other elementary schools, and ultimately at a high school as well. And throughout all those times, I really had those develop my mindset of leadership. And I went ahead and threw my hat in the ring and became a high school vice principal. And I think a high school vice principal uh, is kind of a jack of all trades. I got to kind of see and do it all. I worked under a wonderful principal who didn't micromanage me. She really let me grow and mold into the leader that I wanted to be while also challenging my thinking which then ultimately led me to becoming an elementary principal, which I've been for the last four years. Well, that's quite the shift between a high school assistant principal to an elementary principal. So what was that transition like? You know, it was it was interesting because I've had the background at every single level, and I knew some of the pros and cons. And as a high school vice principal, you deal with a lot of the discipline. You know, it was discipline, discipline, discipline. That's really what I got to deal with. And I was excited to get back on an elementary campus where kids were super excited to see you. Um, and I think I think that was one of the biggest shifts, you know, to be able to say, hey, you know, this is this is my site. These are this is my vision coming to life. And so that was the nicest piece is as a vice principal, you know, you still have that principal's vision that you're working under and helping support. And then I got to take everything that I've learned and put in my own vision at my new school. And that was the most important piece for me and the, the most fun. So I want to go back to kind of your development as a leader in the physical yeah. education realm and in coaching. I was a coach myself prior to becoming an administrator. So what type of things as a physical education teacher or a coach helped you become the leader you are today? Yeah. So from the get go, I was always one, especially in the month of February, you know, you and I briefly touched on that before we started it, you know, it's kind of one of those, it's a tough month. It's a busy month. And through my teaching career, I would, I'd hit those slumps and I would hit those times where, you know what, I needed to do something. And so what I did is I challenged myself to dig in and see, Hey, what's really working well. And then I would write articles about it and I get them published all over the world in different physical education journals and magazines. And so that was really that was a lot of fun. And then people would look to me and we would get in contact with each other and they'd look for some different advice on teaching and instruction. So that really allowed me to develop that. And then through coaching, you know, I was able to provide that feedback, the instantaneous feedback that I think is so necessary as being a leader to provide that feedback. So that really helped me. Um, and then I 
remember my previous district, I went for a, I made it to the final round for a vice principal of a high school position interview. And I sat down with the superintendent and her cabinet. She looked at me and she said, Ryan, you're a PE teacher. We don't look at PE teachers as instructional leaders. And I was kind of dumbfounded because up until this point, I'd written articles for different journals, magazines. I knew that that was the feeling of some outside people. And so I actually attended Stanford University, an online program all about Common Core and how to develop that frame, that lens. So I could go in and with that instructional leadership, but she just looked at it as, hey, PE teacher, not instructional. Mm -hmm. And so for me, it was really important. And I still kind of hold some of that residual feelings. Like, no, you know what? Yes, it doesn't matter what subject you taught. If you're in education and you're leading whatever subject matter you're teaching, you're an instructional leader. Yep. And how can you take that and adapt it to every other set of curriculum, subject matter, whatever it may be? I love that you brought that up because I was an art teacher and a coach, which is a weird thing. But I also felt like I had the stigma of, oh, you're just a fine arts teacher. So yeah. um, I'm glad that you said that. Was there any other things that you did to get experience in the classroom so that you could really prove, you know, in that interview process to say, no, I am an instructional leader? Yeah, you know, I mean, I've never, never been in a, in a classroom setting, you know, never been um, the classroom teacher, you know, teaching all the different subjects, but I had no problem ever rolling up my sleeves and getting in there when they needed support and needed help. Yeah. Um, when I was a uh, physical education teacher at an elementary school, I, I went up to my principal and I said, hey, I want to develop as a leader. I feel like I have an interesting skill set. Worked in some of the lowest socioeconomic schools in California to some of the highest socioeconomic and everything in between. And that's a loud coordinator. Can I work on all the 504s? Can I meet with the parents? Can I help develop curriculum, develop lessons to support all our learners, even students with IEPs. And that really allowed me to kind of shift and kind of get in there. And then another unique thing as, as a vice principal, we had we had a super large special ed population with over 15 different types of special ed programs on our site. And I knew that was still an area of weakness for me, but this the vice principal in charge of special ed, she took a new job. I was the first one to raise my hand and volunteer. I wanted that job. It was a mountain of a job. But I wanted to oversee that because I knew through me overseeing that I was going to grow as a person and as a professional. And so that's my biggest advice to people is to look and say, hey, you know what? It might scare you right now, but jump in. See, how can I help support anybody in the building? Because ultimately that's going to get you the experience and people are going to look at you like, dang, this person is willing to roll up their sleeves and get the job done. So when you were preparing to become a leader, even a principal, was there a person that gave you impactful advice to positively impact your leadership journey? You know, I can't, I can't really pinpoint any one person. Um, you know, there's been so many different people along the road that has really have inspired me. I really tapped into um, different books by um, Dave Burgess Consulting, you know, and along my journey, that was when that those were just really first coming up and first coming out. And I really tapped into that. And then I got into social media and I was able to connect with so many amazing educators. And I really kind of stalked people, you know, I would go on their websites, I'd read the articles, read their blog posts and really push my own thinking. Um, so I don't have a particular person, but I think I've been poked and prodded by a lot of people. You know, my wife constantly provides that for me, you know, to, to push me. She's not in education, but I think that's, that's an important thing too, is have people outside of education that can push your thinking because too often within the education realm, we get into one, like one set of views, one set of beliefs when there's a lot of different perspectives out there and they're all valuable. 
So what is one area that you kind of want to push and say, no, we're not going to do it because of tradition, but we're going to try and change it because it's what's best for kids? Student discipline. You know, student discipline, I think, is a huge one. I'm a major, major believer in relationships. And, you know, we talk about relationships, 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 but then we don't necessarily define those relationships. You know, what, what does it mean? What does a relationship mean? You know, we tell our, we tell our teachers, we tell everybody, Hey, you need to have a good relationship, but what is a good relationship, you know? And so really defining that, looking at, you know, relationship is a connection formed on trust, built on belief and say, okay, so now looking at that, what can we do in terms of, of discipline? And so one of the areas that I've reflected a lot on is, is the discipline process, you know, is it clear? Is it concise? Is it consistent? Does the corrective action come back to the behavior exhibited? So, you know, that's one of the things recently that I've really been challenging myself on. You know, I set out this year with a goal in mind of, you know, we're not going to be excluding students. You know, the suspensions, we're not going to suspend students. We have to look and see what can we do. And four years ago, when I took over my, my site, we had a history of, there was a history of benching kids left and right. Doesn't matter what you did, you were getting benched. Um, you didn't do, do your homework today, bench. You didn't do your schoolwork, bench. And so for me, what I did is I came in, I said, no more, that's not going to happen. So I had to go take everything away and then I said, hey, we need to be more creative with our, with our consequences and our discipline process because ultimately, if we're doing that, kids aren't going to trust us. Mm-hmm. Kids aren't going to think that we believe in them. And then there goes our relationships. And without their relationship, what's the learning that's going to happen? That was my big first thing that I really took on and, and I really believed in. And it's one of those things that I have to continue to circle back on. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, that's a piece that we need to remember is that as we push and we push and push and time goes by, we need to make sure we're constantly circling back. I mean, just today I had some amazing conversations with some of my teachers around discipline and saying, hey, you know what? Yes, we took that away. We need to make sure that all our consequences are logical consequences. We need to make sure that they make sense to the kids and they're corrective in nature. And I always ask them, how would you want this to be handled if this, if this student was your child? And I think that's, that changes the perspective. Because too often, our lives are busy, our teachers' lives are busy, and I totally understand that, but we don't want our emotion to overcome us and then have a negative impact in the relationship and the trust that we've built. So well said, and I think it's a perfect segue to your book, Be the One for Kids. And so for our listeners who haven't had an opportunity to read that book, would you just give a quick synopsis about this topic that you're so passionate about? Yeah, yeah. So Be the One for Kids, you know, is a a book filled with stories and lessons um, that have come from my life through teaching at the elementary, middle and high school level. And then also as an administrator, you know, I what struck me is as my first couple years, as I was bouncing around school to school, I'd go into these staff lounges, not really being a part of a staff because I was only there for one day a week. You know, I'd kind of be one of those outcasts, right? The outsiders where I'd sit in that sit at that table by myself and I just listen. I'm always listening. People were afraid of doing something different from the person to the left and the person to the right. They they wanted to do what was what was the normal, what was the, they wanted to go with the flow. And you know, looking at that, I really became a firm believer that we all have the power inside of us to be the one. And it doesn't matter where we are in our life. It doesn't matter if you're in education, you're in business. You have the power to be the one, to be the one that changes that, that disrupts that, that steps outside of your comfort zone and gets it done. I started writing, I started blogging and you know, that, that message just came so clear to me 
to share my stories and my stories are unique to me, but you, you are going to have those same stories as an educator and how can we unleash our power to change the life of a child? And ultimately that's what I want to do. I want to help every educator in the world understand and realize the power and privilege they have in a child's life and help them unleash that power. So you can help that child unleash their power to be amazing. And I love that concept in the book about, you know, everyone has power to, to make an impact. And um, that's something that is said on this podcast a lot is, you know, everyone is a leader. And so yes. for those who may not have a leadership title, how may they impact a campus? Yeah. So I always, I always define, you know, a leader, what is a leader? A leader is uh, anyone that has a follower, right? And so if I'm a classroom teacher, guess what? I have followers. If I'm a noon supervisor, guess what? I got followers. I got kids coming. If I'm an office staff member, I got followers. I'm a custodian. I have followers. And so I think if, if we, we have to change that, you know, we can't only expect our leaders with title to lead. We need everybody to lead. And I think that's the most important piece of it. I constantly get asked questions. Well, what if, what if other people on my site aren't ready for this? Well, guess what? You're ready for you. You do you and get, they're going to see the results that you're getting. And then they're going to want to jump on board. I was just working with a high school in Illinois not too long ago. And one of the unique things they do at the end of every year, senior year, the seniors sit down, they bring all the seniors together and they write letters to teachers that made a difference that really made a difference and made an impact in their, in their time. And then over the course of the next year, the principal hands them out to people. And one of the things that, that strikes them every year are the teachers that don't get any letters. And you know what? After a couple of years, people start looking in the mirror. They start saying, hey, you know what? This teacher gets letters all the time. Why, what am I doing? What do I need to do differently? And I think that's, that's the hard part is we often want to do things together. We want to move forward with solidarity. But guess what? Sometimes people aren't ready to do it. You need to go out and if you think this is the right thing for kids, then do it. If you're a custodian and you think that, hey, this needs to be done for kids, do it. If somebody might not like it, they're going to come back and have a conversation. If you can relate it back to, hey, why I did it, and this is why it was important, they, they have no argument. And so that's where we need, to put, we need to put kids in the forefront of every decision we make and think about how is that going to globally impact our culture, everything that we have going on in our school. You are a part of a, another book. You are co-author of Principles in Action, and there you really challenge what the role of leadership is. So in that book, what are some topics that you hit on that might help our aspiring leaders? Yeah. So in Principles in Action, we talk all about redefining the role of education, of, of leadership in education. Um, you know, the days where a principal sat behind their desk all day doing paperwork is gone. And it needs to be gone. We're supposed to be instructional leaders. How are we leading instructional from our office? Why aren't we in classroom? So we talk about a lot about different, different scenarios that we've gone through in our leadership journey. We talk about tips and tricks that we found useful. You know, I know I'm in a pretty large district. About We have about 35,000 kids, 30 elementary schools. In my principal meetings, we're sitting there talking and people are like, well, I'm getting bogged down by this, this, and this. And I said, well, guess what, guys? If you have a phone or if you have a laptop, get that work done in a classroom. Okay, get out and moving. And so that's really the message of principles in action is getting out of the office, challenge yourself to connect with other administrators because the job of a principal is tough and the job of a principal is lonely. So connecting with people and going through, we do challenges, weekly challenges where we challenge uh, administrators around the world to get out there and do something. It may be serving lunch, maybe riding, riding the bus with kids, but it all comes back to one focus, our students. And when we put those relationships and we build, the, build those, that trust with our kids, 
ultimately what's going to happen is kids are going to learn. And that's where we have the job, right? We talk about relationships. We talk about all these different things, but ultimately our goal is learning and all those are going to help us help our kids to learn. I want to talk about you had said that you went to your social network to kind of build your leadership capacity. You also talked about as a principal and as a leader, it can be a lonely job. So why was it that you went out to the different social media outlets to find connection and use that as an outlet to to grow as a leader? Yeah, I did it just because I, you know, I didn't know a lot of people locally that I was able to have those conversations with. And so, you know, I kind of, I went on and I started like a lot of us do, and I just started lurking and stalking and kind of like not putting out content, but just kind of learning, kind of seeing, well, Hey, what is, what are they doing? Well, where are they struggling with and kind of learning through that. And, you know, I've done that via Twitter and then Voxer kind of changed the game for me where I was able to have those conversations and I got invited into a couple groups and it, that was transformational for me because now I'm in these having thought I have thought partners here and I can bounce ideas off of people and I've built this this large PLN I mean principles in action I mean it's way more than a book I mean I was just fortunate to be able to be part of the the team that wrote it but it's a group of administrators from around the world that are out to challenge themselves to be better with kids and if if you look on the back cover of the book it's a picture of us at the National Elementary School Principal Conference last year in Spokane, Washington, where there's a group of us, like 50 of us, uh, around a big, uh, uh, gigantic red wagon. And it was and it was really important for me to get that on there because it is more than us. And Jay, Jay Posick, Mark French, and I, it was funny, we had never met face-to-face. And we connected on social media, we connected over Voxer, and we actually put, put a presentation together and put a pitch into the National Principals Conference I want to say three, four years ago when it was located in Philadelphia and it got accepted. We had never met each other. We showed up. We, we flew from all our respective places from California, Minnesota, Wisconsin. We met there and literally I met them the night before our 7.30 a.m. presentation the next day. You know, and that's, that's the power of social media, the power of being connected. You don't have to live in the same town as people. I'm going to right now, my, my thought partners, most of my thought partners do not even live in the same state as me. And I think that's, that's the powerful thing. And the, the thing I really like when my teachers come to me with an issue, they come to me saying, Hey, how would you handle this? And I said, give me, give me 20 minutes. I throw a message out there. I get to find out how it's handled in new England to Miami to every, everywhere in between. And it's been, it's been great to get those diverse views and flip the script. So social media is obviously something that's big. You talked about Twitter and just as far as a resource, you are actually part of a Twitter chat that you host. So for the listeners who don't know about that Twitter chat, will you just explain how they can benefit from that? Definitely. So every Wednesday night at 745 Central Standard Time, we do the Be The One For Kids Twitter chat. It is the fastest chat on Twitter. It is only 15 minutes. And I do that kind of selfishly because... 15 minutes at 7.45 Central Standard Time is right in dinner time for me in California. And with four kids, I have a lot of other things happening. So it's two questions, middle of the week. You know, you can follow it using hashtag be the one. Join in. You know, I tend to get guest moderators throughout the year as well. But it's really really meant to serve as providing some reflective questions for you for the week, reflective questions on your practices, and then also a little bit of inspiration of how you can finish the week off strong. So I got an important question. Why should our listeners go to PyroCon? 
Ooh, Pyrocon. Pyrocon. <laughs> PirateCon is going to be amazing. I, I'm super pumped about it. You know, PirateCon, you know, think about the Dave Burgess books and think about the movement that Dave and Shelly have created with DBC and think about the impact all those people have had on your career and your professional journeys and then think about them all in one place. And I think that in itself is crazy to think about. You know, it's going to be a lot of awesome learning happening in San Diego, um, not to mention it's in San Diego. Uh, you know, it, it doesn't get much better than that. It's kind of, it's fun. It's a homecoming for me. That's where I grew up. So it's kind of be nice to, nice to get down there, but it's going to be amazing to connect with people. And one of the things that I think that Dave and Shelly are doing a great job with is the size of the conference. I don't think it's going to be an overwhelming size where people aren't going to be able to interact. And I know they're putting together some socials where people are going to be able to have those those face-to-face interactions and some people you know that may be intimidated on twitter to have those conversations and may be intimidated at a large conference to have those conversations but when you're sitting there eating appetizers having a drink it's a great time to build those connections and i think people are going to be really surprised with the relationships that will be formed at PyroCon. so ryan in closing for those starting their leadership journey what advice do you have for them yeah I think push yourself to where you're uncomfortable, continuing to push yourself, continuing to put yourself out there and reflect on every step you take. And when during that reflection process, I'm a huge advocate of putting a reflection out there for other people to read because when they do that, they can question, they can ask you questions about it, not only helping them, but also helping yourself reflect. So put yourself out there, continue to dig deep. And really go for it. If that if this is a if this is a goal of yours is to is to lead, then get out there and do it because we need good leaders. We need people that are willing to go out there, willing to, to change, willing to grow and adapt. This position is never stagnant. This position is not is not something that hey I can come in with my beliefs from five years ago and maintain a hundred percent. That's what I'm good doing. You have to be able to ebb and flow. You have to be flexible. So I and I encourage if you think that that's you. Get out there. We need it. Our kids need it. Our nation needs it. Ryan, how can our listeners connect with you on social media? Yeah, social media. I am at SheeheRW on Twitter and Instagram, Ryan Sheehy on Facebook, or you can check out my website at RyanSheehy.us. Ryan, it is always a pleasure to talk with you. I really appreciate your time this evening. Hey, thank you so much for having me on. It is always a pleasure.